Let me just say before we begin that there are two decisions in our life that are the two greatest decisions we will ever make. And the reason that they are the two greatest and most important decisions we will ever make is because these are the two that will determine the direction of our life. Number one, and first and foremost, and it's very obvious, we know what that is, and that's the decision to obey the gospel. To be baptized into Christ for the remission of sins, to have everlasting life, and begin your life in the direction of being a Christian. Secondly, though, there's another decision that we have to make in our life. And that is, unless we elect to stay single all of our life, it's the decision that we must make of who we're going to spend our life with. Who are we going to spend our Christian life with? I believe, and as I said just a moment ago, this decision is extremely important. It will affect your happiness. It will affect your productivity. It will affect everything about you. And make no mistake about it, men. If you think, or if I think, or if any man thinks that he is on his own everything that he is and should be, you are sadly mistaken. The woman in the home, the wife in the home, is everything to the man and determines his happiness, his direction. Who you marry is everything. All of that being said, let's take a look at our passage, and we're going to break down some of these things. And really, these were some questions that actually came up in a Bible study not long ago, and I was asked to deal with these passages, so it really just kind of fits what we're talking about and our theme. But in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 1, Peter says, wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they, without word, may be won by the conduct of their wives. Now, first of all, I have to say that Peter was not giving sanction to marrying somebody that is not a Christian. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul was not giving sanction to marry somebody that is not a Christian. Peter's talking about the same kind of a person that Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 7. And that is, these are two people and they're married. And one, in this case, the wife, obeys the gospel and she is a Christian. And Peter's going to say that she has a responsibility to her husband even if he's not a member of the body of Christ. Provided that he allows her to be a Christian and does not stand in the way. Now... The word subjection or submission is the word hupotasso, and it means to arrange under or it means to subordinate. Now, this does not mean, and get this, this does not mean that the wife is inferior in any way to the man. This is nothing inferior at all. In fact, watch this. When we talk about that which is in subjection or a woman being in subjection to her husband, we are talking about something that literally is a hung up clicker, a willful act. It's a willful act. That is something that is not a matter of inferiority. It is a willful act. And Peter is saying the same thing that Paul said. Listen to this. In Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 22, two passages here. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, 
So let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 18. Wives, submit yourself to your own husbands as is fitting the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. The relationship between the husband and the wife is by divine revelation and not human wisdom. Now, why do I say that? It's also not by human logic. I wanted to share something with you. Not long ago, I was having a doctrinal discussion with a brother. We were talking about things that are not up for grabs and things that are not up for discussion. We're talking about doctrinal things in the Word of God. And there was one specific doctrinal point we were talking about. We got the Bible out. We read it. He saw what it said. He acknowledged that it said that. And then he said this. But I think God wants us to use our heads. In other words, it doesn't matter what is written. I think God wants us to use our own wisdom and logic and use our own heads. After all, he gave us a brain. That's what he said. When things are given by command in the word of God, they're not by human logic or wisdom. They are by divine revelation. And one of which is for the wife, for the wife to be submissive to the authoritative role of the husband. That is a willful act. Now, you remember a moment ago I said it's not an act of inferiority. Let me even go a step further. When a woman, please understand, when a woman makes the willful choice to be this kind of person in the home, you know what that is? It's an act of courage. It's an act of obedience. And it's an act of strength. I'm, that's good stuff. I'm going to say it again. It's an act of courage. It's an act of obedience. And it's an act of strength. That's what we're talking about. We're not talking about inferior. We're talking about somebody that's a great woman in the home. Now, there is a twofold level here. When the relationship between the husband and the wife, even if, we're going to talk about this now. Let's talk about the, this, this uh, situation. You have two people that are married and the wife obeys the gospel. There is a two fold level here one is physical and paul dealt with that and the other is spiritual and peter dealt with that let's talk about what paul said first corinthians 7 and 2 paul said nevertheless because of sexual immorality let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband in other words a wife has a obligations a marital obligation to her husband whether he's a christian or not to take care of and satisfy the physical part or the physical level of the marriage so there will not be any extramarital behavior and sin. So as long as a wife is allowed to live the life of a Christian and she's married to a man that is not a Christian, she still is in subjection to his authoritative role in the home and she still fulfills her marital obligations. That's what Paul said. But Peter dealt with a spiritual level. Peter dealt with this. Peter says that even if some do not obey the word. Now, what does that mean? Obey the word. In this passage, the word is used twice. One is right here and one is right here. And they're different meanings. They mean different things. The first word there that we're talking about is the gospel. And here's really the point. 
You're married to somebody, you've already been married, you obey the gospel. Stay with that person, be submissive to his authority, and even if he has rejected the gospel for a while, even though he heard the gospel, when you heard the gospel, you obeyed it, he did not, still be that kind of a wife in the home. Still be that kind of wife in the home. You know why? So that maybe without a word, he may be won by the conduct of his wife. Now, first of all, the, the King James is a little confusing on this because it says it like this. That even if some do not obey the word, they, without the word, it makes it sound like they're going to be saved without the gospel, and that's not true. What it's talking about is, it's talking about this. The gospel is the only thing that saves. Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. What it's saying is this, the gospel is the only thing that saves. And if that husband rejected the gospel in days gone by, in time past, continue to be the kind of wife you need to be submissive to your husband's role, and just maybe in time, because of the life that you are living and your conduct, they might obey the gospel later on and be saved. Such a powerful thing. Such a powerful thing in the life of a Christian woman. I want to make another point, though. You know, in the, in the Greek, there's no definite article before the second term word. So in the Greek, it literally says this, that even if some do not obey the gospel, they without word may be won by the conduct of their wives. That's how it reads in the original. The point is this. The point is this. There is nothing greater than a positive life. An example. I like what one man said one time. He said, Godly conduct is more powerful than persistent speech. It's the idea of a silent but powerful persuasion of a believing, of believing behavior. And that's what this man will see and obey the gospel perhaps in the future. That brings us to verse 2, and that's actually a continuation of verse 1. When they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Now, the word in the New King James, observe, is translated behold in the King James. And that word is only found in the book of 1 Peter. That's all. And what it means is a continual watching and observing to see if your conduct is genuine. I'm going to tell you, in our life, people can know whether we're genuine or not. My kids are just about, we're just, Tina and I are just, just about done raising them. I mean, they're still on the payroll. But we're just about finished raising them. And there's going to come a time when they have to go make decisions on their own and live their life. And one way or the other, whether we've done a good job or whether we've done a bad job, they're going to have to go live their life one way or the other. But one of the hardest things when they're younger to do is be consistent sometimes. Sometimes we're a little inconsistent. But it's extremely important. In fact, Parenting 101, they will all tell you the most important thing you got to be is consistent. There has to be that. In other words, a consistent example. 
That also extends, and is so important, extends to the example, for example, of their parents, how we live our life. They're looking to see how consistent we are in our behavior. Watch this. We're talking the marriage relationship and not the children. And he is saying that you may be able to win that spouse someday when he sees your constant, continual watching and observing of your life. What does it mean to be chaste? It actually means pure from fault. It means immaculate. That doesn't mean perfect. It doesn't mean perfect because that's not going to happen. So the definition is a little uh, confusing perhaps. But what it's talking about is and it's an immaculate conduct. In other words, you are following a chaste, immaculate conduct in your life. When he observes that, you're going to have great blessings. Here's another word. With reverence and respect. That's what the word fear means according to Mr. Thayer. Now, that brings us to verse number three. Verse number three. And these were some things that were in question the other day. First Peter 3 and 3. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. In other words, don't let the outward adornment be what attracts a husband. Don't do that. It is what is on the inside that really matters and bears a definite influence on what's worn outwardly. Really, what I am on the inside will be demonstrated on how I behave on the outside. You know what he's saying is? He's talking about a Christian woman. He's talking about a godly woman. And the first thing he says is, don't let your adornment be from the outward show or in an outward sense to attract your husband. That's the context of the entire thing. The Bible speaks here of three distinct areas, but sometimes these things are taken out of context and misunderstood. Here are the three areas. The way she wears her hair, the jewelry she selects, and the apparel she puts on. Now, there's a lot of things that this doesn't mean. We want to talk about what exactly Peter meant by this. Well, first of all, we want to begin with arranging the hair. You know, Paul actually did forbid broided hair. In fact, the King James Version calls it plating from that Greek word, and it literally means interweaving or braiding. This does not mean that you can't braid your hair. And by the way, i got to tell you, I bet Mike is too. I'm good at it. When Taylor was little, I came to the rescue a lot of times when Tina wasn't there. I'd braid that hair. Good at it. You know how you learn? Horses, tails, and manes. Pretty good stuff. Got good at it. That's not what that means. It doesn't mean you can't braid your hair. The word literally means interweaving and braiding. Paul said this to Timothy. Watch this. In like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. All right. What Paul is talking about, and so was Peter, they were talking about the extravagant excesses that were among women in the first century Roman Empire. For example, Vincent quoted this. I wanted to put the whole thing on the screen. Here it is. This is what Vincent said. This is what Peter would have been talking about. The attendants will vote on the dressing of the hair as if a question of reputation or of life were at stake. So great is the trouble she takes in quest of beauty, 
With so many, get this, tears does she load and on her head. With so many continuous stories does she build up on high her head. She is as tall as Andromache, which, by the way, was the in Greek mythology, the wife of Hector, captured by the Greeks at the fall of Troy. Behind she is shorter. You would think that she is another person. Picture this. What was Peter talking about? What was Paul talking about? He was talking about what they did. They interwove stuff. Going to get to that in a minute. But they would stack the hair in the front. Look at me. Look at the show I'm putting on. Let's go further. Clement of Alexandria said this. First century women were given to great extremes in braiding and plaiting their hair. Watch this. Gold and silver were intertwined and twisted Strands of pearls as well. That's what he was talking about. He was talking about, when he talks about braided, it didn't mean French braiding and doesn't mean those other kind of braids. It doesn't mean that at all. It doesn't mean a particular hairstyle. He was talking specifically about something that they did to attract men, to attract the opposite sex. They would stack that hair to the moon. They'd interweave it with silver and gold and pearls. Look at me. What he's saying is there's a difference. Have it be the inner person that attracts the other person and not the outward show. That's what that he was talking about when he says about the hair. What about wearing gold? Folks, this does not mean you cannot wear jewelry. This does not mean you cannot wear earrings, ladies. It does not mean you cannot have a necklace. It does not mean you cannot wear jewelry. That's not what this means. What's he talking about, though, when he says wearing gold? Well, first of all, the word wear comes from the Greek word uh, parentheses, and it means to put around or to hang down, according to Mr. Thayer. Now, the adornment here, we're talking about something that is adorned here, and it's talking about the idea of wearing gold, and it's the adornment of a golden ornament that was placed around the head or the body. As the uh, English translations stand, it seems like he's saying you can't wear jewelry, but that's not the case at all. That's not what he's talking about. He is talking about lavish, conspicuous displays of jewelry and gold and gaudy, elaborate displays of expense. And thirdly, or putting on a fine apparel. I've actually heard people interpret this to mean that you can't dress nice. You can't have a fancy dress, a beautiful dress. You have to be plain. You can't have any makeup. You can't have any jewelry. You can't wear really nice clothes. Folks, that's as wrong as can be. That's not what that means at all. And there's not a thing in the world wrong with a woman that looks beautiful that fixes herself up. That's not the point. The point is, what is the purpose? What are you trying to do with your display or your clothing or your outward appearance? What are you trying to look for? What are you looking for? Are people drawn to you by the things that you wear on the outside or are they drawn to you by what you are on the inside? Putting on of fine apparel. Let's go further with this. There are two Greek words that are used to describe clothing. Very important. There's two Greek words that is used to describe apparel or clothing. The first word is what all of us have today. 
It's clothing to protect and cover the body. That's that Greek word there. All of us are wearing those kind of clothes. We are covered. Our bodies are covered and protected. That's that word. That's not the word that Peter is using when he says apparel. He's talking about something else. It's the word hymation. In other words, it's clothing that is ornate. It's the ornamentation of it. They would take things and wrap the body in these ornamentation ways to attract the opposite sex. Wearing gold, broiding the hair, and outward shows of ornate fashion to attract others. Here's the flip side, though, and I love this. In verse 4, he said, don't do it from that standpoint. Don't be the person that's trying to attract somebody on the outside by the things in which you wear and the things in which your styles are and all that. But do it this way. Let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible ornament of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. Now, the hidden person of the heart. The heart is the place of intelligence. It's the place of reason. And it's the place of determined will. In fact, Paul calls that the inner man in Romans chapter 7 and verse 22. In 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 16, he said, Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet our inward man is being renewed day by day. Here's, Paul's, here's Peter's point. It's the inner man of the heart that matters. The inside matters. Listen to this. Ephesians 3 and 17. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. And so what one wears on the outside is an expression of what one has on the inside. Can I just make a point here, though? And I'm talking to men and women. I'm talking about men and women. We talk about things that are the symptom. And sometimes we fail to remember the problem. It's kind of like, have you ever heard the adage, it's like putting a Band-Aid on a laceration? Sometimes people, you can go to the doctor if you've got a problem, and they treat the symptom, and they treat the symptom, and they treat the symptom, but they don't treat the cause. You know what happens? You don't get better. All they do is treat the symptom. Let me give you just a little example of that. Um, years ago, I, I, as you know, I've suffered from migraines in my life, and they're getting better. I'm growing out of them. And I'm actually almost to the point where maybe someday I will never have one again, hopefully. But for years, you know what doctors did? For years, doctors treated the symptom. They kept giving me medicine for the symptom. You know what I had? Constant headaches. And then I'd take medicine for the symptom. And I did that for many years. I finally went to a guy that really knew something. You know what he said? We're going to stop doing that and we're going to correct the problem. We're going to give you medicine that's going to address the problem before you have it. Man, that was great stuff. You know what he gave me? He gave me medication that eliminates the problem in advance. That's exactly what we're talking about. The outward show of display is the symptom. It's not the problem. The problem is the heart. What's under consideration is the heart. I don't know how many times, for example, we've heard sermons right here. You've heard it from me. You've heard it from Terry. Heard it from the other teachers. You've heard it. And what do we say? And by the way, it's not just here. It's everywhere I go. It's the same thing. 
And that is, we talk about church attendance. I'm not going to get on that right now, but just stay with me on this. We talk about church attendance, but it never gets better. We talk about, we beg people to come. Please come back Sunday night. Beg them, beg them to. They don't come back. We say, please come on Wednesday night. Have 100 here on Sunday morning and have 20 on Wednesday night. Beg them to come. And it never gets better. Do you know why? Because that's not the problem. That's not the problem. Attendance is not the problem. The problem is the heart. You fix that first, and everything else changes. We got a heart problem, folks. We got a heart problem. We got to fix the heart, and everything else will fall into place. Everything. Same is true with how you dress. It's the outward manifestation of what you really are on the inside. Watch this. Peter says, Peter says it needs to be of the hidden man or hidden person of the heart. The King James says, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit. Now, there's a question that we have to address now, and that is, well, how important is her role? Now, this will lead us right into next week. We talk about the role that a woman has. Because you know what? If you think about it, the woman's role and the woman in the home, she is one that will determine whether or not a man can be qualified to be an elder or a deacon. Did you know that a woman's behavior can disqualify a man from being an elder or a deacon in the church? We talked about all of those qualifications to be an elder. Six lessons. All the qualifications to be an elder. We talked about one full lesson on deacons and all those qualifications, right? Talked about all that. But he can be disqualified because of his wife. How important is she? Years ago, I gave a sermon entitled Making Cornerstones of Our Children, and I actually wrote it for the 4th of July meeting years ago in Springfield. And I dealt with this passage. I love this passage. It's Psalm 144 and 12. What an amazing passage that the psalmist David records here. And it says this, that our sons may be as plants grown up in their youth, that our daughters may be as pillars sculptured in palace style. Now, you know what we do? We spend a lot of time, and rightfully so, we spend a lot of time talking about sons. We do. We spend a lot of time. We say, we got to train these young guys. Because they need to be preachers in the future. They need to be teachers in the future. They need to be leaders in the church in the future. How many times have we said that a young man or a group of young men, that they're going to be the future leadership of the church? So it's extremely important. In fact, the psalmist David begins by saying, let your sons be as plants grown up in their youth. You know what one translation says? That they might be built up and grow into steady oak trees. We need young men, absolutely, to be leaders in the future. We sure do need that. But folks, let's not, let's not forget the women. Let's not forget our precious daughters. One translation says, our daughters will be like carved columns, shapely as those in the temple. The New English Bible says this, our daughters will be like corner pillars, carved like those in a palace. 
The King James Version says that our daughters may be as cornerstones. And when you put it all together, here's the idea. Here's the idea. In Bible times, they had elaborate palaces, and that's where the king was. That's where the king was. Listen to the language that David uses here. Because in these great big palaces, something's got to hold them up. You know what they would do? They would take beautiful columns, and they would select, they would hand select these columns out of beautiful pieces of marble. A craftsman would show up, and he would, he would buff and polish that to great beauty and excellence. They would take those columns, and they not only were beautiful to look at, but they also held up the structure. In fact, the most important ones, they were put there to join together two walls that came together. If they didn't place it right, or if the column was defective in any way, then the structure itself was not sound. You see what David is saying here? David is calling our daughters just that. He's saying they are what? They are pillars sculptured in palace style. If you are a young lady and you had never realized how important you are, please listen to me now. Please understand how important you are. Please understand how important you are in the home. I'm going to tell you something. We as men will only go as far as our wives will, will help us and support us to get there. That's a fact. That's a fact. Our daughters are like these beautiful columns that hold everything together. A noble goal for our daughters to raise polished corner pillars that one day will hold her family together with strength and joy and love and laughter, with a contagious faith in Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you something. Sometimes, sometimes we that are consider ourselves the strong ones, the strong men, sometimes we're not very strong. Sometimes we're vulnerable. Sometimes we're weak. And we need the strength of those corner pillars. We need the strength of our wives, of those precious women. God's best gift to a man is a godly woman of strength and beauty. The Bible says her worth is far above rubies. You know, I believe that such a woman is truly God's masterpiece. I like what one man said one time about the family. And I'll close with this. He said, the father is the head of the home. But the mother is the heart. And the children are the hope. And that's a fact. Father, yeah, we're the head, but the mother's the heart, and the children are the hope. A godly wife and mother is more precious than gold. It's the greatest thing in the world we could ever have as men that are trying to live the Christian life. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.